All right, good morning. James, the book of James. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of James. It's towards the back. Use the table of contents if you need it. Happy New Year's. It's here. It's 2023. You made it. You know, if you would, you made it. Congratulations. Uh, we're excited to enter into this year. Um, and today, uh, we're going to tackle some of the things that are going to be really important as this year plays out. Uh, and the rest of your life plays out. And Andrew asked how many people made resolutions. It wasn't that many. Is that true, or do you just not want to raise your hand? How many of you made a New Year's resolution? Like, you know right now. Okay, the rest of you are like, I pretty much arrived. I think <laughs> this is as good as it's going to get. You've kind of settled, maybe. Um, or you've, you've given up. You've, maybe you've just given up. I hope you haven't given up. Uh, but even if you don't make New Year's resolutions... For everybody, a new year kind of feels like a fresh start. It's not. I mean, it's Sunday. Yesterday was Saturday. The calendar turned. But it feels that way. It feels like, okay, new year, fresh start. You kind of feel like you got this new, uh, new clean slate to move forward with, and that's great. Um, and we all have this kind of desire to improve. So we think like, all right, even if I don't make resolutions, I got this clean slate, and I'm going to do better this time at these things, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a... Uh, uh, and see improvements in these areas, and we all want to get better. Even those of you that didn't raise your hand, like you know, like you want to get better. And there are things that come to mind of like, sure, I'd like to lose a few pounds. I'd like to do this better. I'd like to not lose my temper so much, or I'd like to watch less TV, or whatever it may be. Um, You kind of have like this uh, desire for self-improvement. Well, we would like to see you be better too. And that that sounded bad. Like, you're great. I'm sure you're great. But we share in that desire of like, yeah, we want to see improvement. We want to see you grow. Uh, we want to help you be a better dad and husband and a better mom and wife and a better uh, follower of Jesus. And we want to see you have greater joy and self-discipline and have greater character and integrity. Like we want to see you be better. In fact, a uh, calling for the church is not church growth, and sometimes churches can just be seen like, we're just trying to grow your church. It's like, well, actually, we're trying to grow you. We're trying to grow godly people. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, hey, I'll build my church. You make disciples, and that's what we want to do. We want to see you grow in your godliness. Uh, We want to see you get better and improve, and God gave, in fact, one of his jobs he gave to church leaders is to care for your souls, and we've looked at this passage before, but this is in Hebrews 13, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your what? <clears throat> Souls, as to those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. But he says, a job for leaders is to keep watch over your soul. So let me just ask you, like, it's a new year, kind of fresh start. Like, this is day one. Uh, hopefully, you know, it's only 9.50. You're still doing well. Uh, but it's a time of reflection. How's your soul? How, how's your soul doing? Maybe you're like, that's kind of a confusing question. I don't even really know what a soul is or how to, how to evaluate that. Uh, we just are in the middle of releasing a podcast called Soul Health. I think two episodes are out. There's another two coming. So if you want to dive deeper into that, I would encourage you to like, look into that podcast. That's going to be helpful. Uh, but, but our soul health can get neglected. Uh, We give our physical health, our financial health, our relational health, our mental health a lot of attention. We can be committed to a diet, like I'm not going to eat anything non-organic or whatever that you guys do. Um, Not in that camp, but you go. Uh, But you can be like committed to that. You can be committed to 
uh, your own relational health and pursuing relationships or going to see a counselor and your mental health. Like we can be committed to those things, so devoted to it. But soul health, we don't, we don't talk about that. We don't, we don't talk about that a lot. And the thing is, so many underlining issues behind mental health and uh, relational health and financial health are ultimately a soul health problem. And there's a connection that we tend to miss. And we got, listen to me, church, we have to stop neglecting our souls. We have to stop neglecting our souls. We can't um, put the health of our soul on the back burner when our real goal and pursuit is just physical health or mental health or relational health or financial health. And we neglect our soul. And Jesus was really clear that your soul is the most important thing. In fact, this is what he says. It says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Like, what good is that going to be? You gain the whole world. You make all the money in the world, but you forfeit your soul. What, what good is it if your kid does get an athletic scholarship? No, even that. Goes to the NFL, but doesn't love Jesus. Were all those weekend Little League tournaments worth it? Like, what, what good is it then? What good is it if you get your dream job, your dream house, your dream family, driving your dream car, and you forfeit your soul? You see, we've got to stop neglecting our soul. We need to think about the health of our soul. And the paradox of the soul is when you die to yourself, your soul comes alive. When you die to yourself, your soul comes alive. The way Jesus put it is like, if you try to find your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, for my sake, then you'll find it. Then you're going to find it. And, if you, and we got so many people who are just lost trying to find themselves. They're just lost trying to find themselves. And, and it's their focus on finding themselves and what makes them happy and what they want to do and what their ambitions are. And it's just killing your soul. Because your soul is not to find yourself but to connect with God. Listen, you have a soul. You are not just a body or a personality. You have a soul, and it's the most important thing about you, and your soul needs God. There's tons of passages we can go to, but I just want to kind of lay some groundwork. This is Psalm 42. It says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. This is like a passage you'd see on like a coffee mug at a Christian bookstore, but... Actually, the passage is like this deer is start, you know, dying of thirst. And this is what your soul is like. Your soul needs God. Like we need water. This is another one. It says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. That's my diet plan. <clears throat> and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Like my soul, it will be satisfied by you. When I go to you, when I connect with you, when I meditate about you, like our soul needs God. So how does your soul get its doses of God that that it needs? And if it doesn't get, it starves and it's just suffocated. Like how does your soul get doses of God? How do you commune with God? Well, pretty much every time uh, around this time of year, every year at this time, uh, first of the year, we take at least one week, maybe two or three, and we talk about rhythms. Like rhythms of the Christian life, Christian discipline, spiritual discipline, whatever you want to call them, like practices that should be a part of every Christian's life, Bible reading, prayer, community, 
uh, fasting, worship, all these things, like these should be practices in the life of a Christian because we want to see you form godly habits and rhythms. And habits um, matter way more than just desires. Like habits eat desire for breakfast. You know what I mean by that? Like it doesn't matter if you just have all these desires. I want to be this good person. I want to be godly. I want, but you have no habits to like reinforce that. You're going to be really frustrated. Like we need to form practices, discipline habits that reinforce the godly character we want to see in our life. And we want to take this time every year to say, like, all right, let's, let's take a time out as we enter a new year. And let's kind of reestablish some habits that need to be a part of your life as a follower of Jesus. And we do this because we care for your soul. We care for your soul. And we want you to care for your soul. Because we can't just care for your soul. Like if we care for your soul and you don't care for your soul, it's going to be frustrating. Like, we're going to be on you all the time, and you're eventually going to leave. He's like, well, they didn't really like me. And it's like, no, we loved you. You just didn't like what we had to say and what we pushed you towards. We care for your soul, but we want you to care for your soul. And it's not easy. In fact, this is what Moses said to the Israelites before they went into the promised land. Only take care and keep your what? Diligently. Least you forget the things that your eyes have seen. At least they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. He's telling them, you need to take care of your soul. Like you need to take responsibility to take care of your soul. And it's diligent work. Like it takes your attention and your effort to do this. So this morning, I want to talk specifically about the role of God's word in the health of your soul. Um, And this is what the psalmist says in Psalm 19. It says, the law of the Lord, God's word, is perfect, reviving what? It's saying God's word revives your soul. Doesn't that sound good? Like, you ever feel like, I would like my soul revived? Like, I don't know, maybe you're struggling, uh, you're just down, you're in a funk you can't get out of. Uh, I don't know what it is, but perhaps you're misdiagnosing a lot of things, and what really needs to happen is you need your soul revived. Do you know how to do that? Do you know how God's word does that? Are you, are you pursuing that? James chapter 1. Let's get into this. James chapter 1. Uh, this isn't going to be like uh, that we should read our Bible. I'm just going to like assume, like let's, let's all have that common starting place. Like this isn't what we should do. Like we should read our Bible. This is more how do we do that. Uh, and it's not a quantity as much as quality is what I want to talk about. People are like, well, how much should I read my Bible? Well, I would say every day. But um, I would rather have you read a few times a week the right way, then every day the wrong way. So you're like, well, what is the wrong way? Like, or what is the right way? How should we read God's word? Let's, glad you asked. Verse 17 of chapter 1. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So he's coming off Christmas, getting some gifts. He's saying, don't, don't forget the best gift giver. Who is that? God, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Like God has good, perfect gifts he wants to give his children, which ultimately is himself. But he goes on to say this. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. So of his own will, like he has his desire, his will, 
uh, his purpose behind his actions and what he's doing is it says he brought us forth. Now that word can mean like to birth. Um, but he's not talking about our first birth, our physical birth. He's talking about our second birth, our spiritual birth. In John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he said, you need to be born again, right? He's saying, or in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, it's like anyone who's in Christ is, what, a new creation. So he's talking about the second creation, that of the will of God, he brought us forth spiritually. He made us a new creation, um, by, now this is important, when you study the Bible, when you read your Bible, look for the little words. The little words matter, like so that, or therefore, or for, or by. He's saying by, what? The word of truth. So God had a will to do something in the life of his people to give them new spiritual life. And he did that by his word. Uh, Peter, uh, in First Peter chapter 1, says a little bit different. He says, you've been born again, not of imperishable or perishable seed but imperishable by the living abiding word of god so he's saying by the word of god god has done something it's a gift he's given his people and through his will this new life this new spiritual life and he's done it through his word guys listen to me there is transforming power in the word of god there is transforming power in the word of god god uses his word to grow us and to change us and to care for us good spot for an amen because that's like really comforting news like god God cares for his people he's given us his word and his word has transforming power he cares for us he convicts us he shapes us he grows us through or by his word now you're like well how exactly does that work because I did last year's Bible reading plan. Okay, I did half of Bible, last year's Bible reading plan. Or I read my Bible, and I don't feel like I'm getting any better. I don't feel like I understand a lot of it. I struggle through it. I, like, I do this, and I, I don't get it. I can't pronounce a lot of the words. I don't understand. Like I have this frustration of reading my Bible, and I don't feel this transforming power in God's Word. But listen, you can go to the gym every day and not see progress if you don't know what you're doing right you know the guy he has that the weight belt the weight gloves he's there all the time doesn't look like it but he's there all the time kind of talks a lot just kind of moves around i'll do this machine a little bit then this machine like there all the time but it's like it doesn't look like you're at the gym all the time and he's there consistently but doesn't really know what he's doing is that how you are with the bible Like, I read it every day. I check off the list. I did the Bible reading plan or at least a few times a week. Like, I work through it, but I don't don't look like I read my Bible all the time. I mean, my life doesn't. My joy doesn't. My contentment and peace doesn't reflect that. Or or when I do, I don't really know what I'm doing. Like, I flip, you know, it says to read this. I read that. But I don't really know what to do when I get there. Well, in this passage, James is kind of acting like a personal trainer for us when it comes to handling the word of God. Like, how should you read? Not, not that you should read. We should read the Bible. But, but how? How do we get the most out of it? How do we benefit? How do we tap in to this transforming power in the word of God? Another great question. 19. <clears throat> know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, this isn't a section 
that's going to talk to us about receiving the word of God. And he starts off by talking about our demeanor or our attitude. Like, what is the attitude that you have that you bring to your Bible reading? Are you quick to hear, like eager to listen? Or do you kind of position yourself as the know-it-all? You're going you're gonna to instruct. Are you quick to get angry? Are you offended easily at the words of God? Like, what's your attitude and demeanor when it comes to your Bible reading? Because it matters. It matters a lot on how you, like, posture yourself when you come to read the Bible. Then he goes on to say this. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which, notice this, is able to save your souls. Isn't that good news? It's able to save your souls. Now, before we move on here, I just want to say this. Don't underestimate the power of God's word. Don't underestimate the power of God's word. But I love how um, this is in Hebrews. He says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God, is, it's active, it's living, it accomplishes, it convicts, it comforts. Here's another one. You guys are probably familiar with this. Um, All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it's profitable. Like it produces. You invest in this, you're going to get a payoff. It's a payback, and, and what it does, it's going to produce in you. It's going to correct you. It's going to rebuke you. It's going to train you. God's word is going to do that. Don't underestimate the power of God's word because you have to understand the power of God's word to eagerly engage in God's word. And if you don't, if you don't kind of start at that point, you're not going to crave it. You're not going to want it. You're not going to go to it. You're going to work through it when it's tough and difficult and you don't understand it. But if you know that there's power, the power of God is in his word, that, that through it or by his word, he accomplishes new life in us, that's going to create in you the platform or the desire to kind of press through. Like, I'm going to meet God in here. I'm going to be transformed by God in here. Don't underestimate the power of God's word. We want to be people of the word. Now, Reading your Bible frequently, like getting more than what you just get here on a Sunday morning, is not just for like the elite Christians. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you're not actively in the Word of God, you will be an immature follower of Jesus. And if you are an immature follower of Jesus, you will be gullible to the lies of this world. And you will be easily trapped up and entangled in the deception that happens all around us every day. If you are an immature Christian, you are not going to be the husband or wife or mom or dad that you were called to be. Like This is essential that we engage God's word. So James has given us some direction on how to use it how to benefit from it. And he, he gives us, like any training regimen, there's some do's and don'ts. Like if you were trying to uh, get in shape and you had a personal trainer, they'd give you some things to do and they'd give you some things not to do, right? Like get some good sleep, eat right, exercise. Hey, let's not smoke. Let's not eat Twinkies for dinner. Let's not, you know, do these kind of things. Like here's some do's and here's some don'ts. Like this is your training regimen. And, and James gives us the same things. I'm going to give you some do's, like receive the word of God with meekness, we're going to get into that in a little bit. But here's some don'ts. Like, you've got to, don't do this filthy, rampant wickedness. <laughs> get rid of this. Like, this isn't going to be helpful. 
As in he's saying, listen, your attitude matters in your Bible reading. Like the attitude that you have, that you approach God's word. But also, your morality matters in your Bible reading. Your morality matters in your Bible reading. Like to tap into the power of God and his word. Your morality matters. As in if you're reading God's word regular, but you're also engaged in active, ongoing, unrepentant sin, don't expect for the word of God to take root in that life and to produce change. That's not how we're to receive the word of God. He's saying, hey, if you want to be a good receiver of the word of God, then put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That's what he's telling us to do. That's not the way we receive the word of God. So what is the way that we receive the word of God? He goes on to say this. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with meekness the implanted word. The implanted word. Like this word is given to you by God. You kind of implanted it into your life, into your heart. It came to you. Now when you think of this, think of it like an organ transplant. Like if you were going to get a new heart or lung or kidney or whatever, um, there is a, a time period after that trans, transplant to see if your body receives it or rejects it. Like you, okay, you're a match, but now the transplant happened. Now this is kind of the crucial time. Does your body receive it or does it reject it? Is it going to cooperate with your body? James is saying, hey, the word of God has been given to you. Are you going to cooperate with it? Is it going to jive? Is it going to, are you going to obey it? Are you going to follow it? Let's see if you receive it. Now, when you hear the implanted word of God, anything else in Scripture come to mind? What about the parable that Jesus said about uh, the sower and the seed? Let me, let me read this to you. This is in Matthew 13. He says this. This is Jesus talking. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had not, no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Who has ears, let him hear. Well, luckily, and a little bit later, the disciples are like, what did you mean by that? And this is one of the parables that Jesus explains. Like, well, let me tell you what I meant. And the seed is the word of God. And he's talking about how people respond to the preached word of God. He's saying, well, some people, you know, they, they don't get it. Like, you talk, and it's just like you're talking to a wall. It's just, whew, they're, not, they're not picking up on it. Other people, it's like they're genuinely excited, and they respond, but there's no depth, and it just, they don't have any follow-through. It's kind of like, it's a flash in the pan. Other people, that they respond, but... Life's hard and other things. There's other priorities and there's a lot going on and it just kind of chokes out what's most important. And then other people, it just produces a crop. Like you see the work of God in their life. Now in this parable, there's some constants. Uh, The same seed, same sower. The only variable is the soil. There's different kind of soils. And the point is, like, what kind of soil are you? Like, how do you receive or how do you respond 
to the word of God. And James uh, gives us an answer here. He's like, well, what does it mean to be good soil to the word of God? And he answers that. We are to receive it with meekness. That's how we're to receive the word of God. We're to receive it with meekness. And well, what does that exactly mean? Uh, well, to receive means to welcome. It would be like if you're welcoming uh, friends coming over that you really like and you want to see. Like there's this joyful, like, I, yes, I want you in my house. I want to receive you. I want to welcome you. Uh, he's saying do that to the word of God. Like receive the word like you want it. And I think one of the best pictures of receiving the word of God like that is in uh, Psalm chapter 1. He says this. You guys are familiar with this passage. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, go back to that one. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and he receives it. What does it mean to receive it? He's welcoming it. He's excited to have it. He's meditating on it day and night. This is a picture of what it looks like to welcome God's law. His word. It's like, yeah, I love it. Like, I want it in my life. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to dwell about it. And this is then what happens. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. Like, there's some fruit that comes from the word of God being received in his life. And then you have meekness. You're to receive it, and then you have you receive it with meekness. Or maybe your translation says humility. Uh, to receive it with meekness or humility is to have an attitude of teachability. Like your ways are higher than my ways. You know more than I do. I'm here to learn. It's uh, to receive it with an attitude of uh, submissiveness, ready to submit. Like I'm here to obey. I'll do what you say. I'm here to follow you. It's an attitude of confidence in God. Uh, My hope is in you. I trust you. I'm willing to obey you and follow you. Uh, The opposite of meekness is what you get seen further up. It's to be slow to hear. It's to be quick to talk. It's to be quick to be angry. Like I'm, I'm slow to hear. Like I'm not really eager to hear what God has to say. I'm not leaning into it. I'm quick to speak. I'm quick to put myself in the position of authority. And I want to talk more and explain more than learn more. And I'm quick to get angry. Like I'm easily offended by God's word. I don't like it when he says that. I don't like that. And you got a little too close to home there. And I don't want to hear that anymore. Like that's the opposite of humble meekness of receiving God's word. And guys, this isn't about whether or not to read the Bible. This is about how you read the Bible. And it's the sad reality is too many Christians don't know how to read their Bibles. I don't mean like you don't know how to read. <laughs> I'm saying you don't know how to read God's word. Like the attitude that you bring to God's word is missing. But yet you'll still participate. You're still like, well, I'm reading it. I did the Bible reading plan. I went to church. I went to the group. And and you're deceiving yourselves. You're missing something essential. We don't know how to read the Bible. Is your attitude, is your morality one that says, I want to be shaped by God. I want to know God. I want to commune with God. Are you good soil? Are you good soil? Because just because seed falls on soil doesn't mean it's good. Look, Look at what he says in verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, 
What's that next phrase? Deceiving yourselves. Isn't it kind of wild to think that reading your Bible can be deceptive? Not that the Bible is deceiving you. It's a self-deception. Your Bible reading or in your taking in the word of God, you're actually deceiving yourself. And what he's getting at here is like, if you're not receiving it with meekness, with kind of this humility that to actually like, I want to be shaped by your word. I want to obey it. I want to know it. I'm leaning in. I want it. Like if you don't approach God's word that way, he's like, you're deceiving yourself you, in, in this way. You think you're doing all the right things. And you're like, why isn't this working? I don't feel any different. I don't feel transformed. I don't feel shaped by God. I don't feel like I have this new life in Christ. There was a time I was, not a time, it's all the time. I'm trying to lose weight. If you've known me in the last 30 years, it's kind of been the reality. Uh, But there was this one season where it's like, okay, I'm going to do it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat salads, just only salads. How could you not lose weight if you're just going to eat salads? But everybody knows the best way to eat a salad is lots of dressing. Because without it, it's just lettuce and stuff. It's nasty. So I was like, well, let's get good dressing. I'm going to eat salads. Let's put some good dressing on it. So I got like this buttermilk ranch. Just loaded it on there. It's like, these salads are great. I could, do, I could do this every meal. This is excellent. And it wasn't working until my wife informed me how many calories I was consuming uh, in my salad. But I thought, this is the way I deceived myself. I thought, like, I'm eating salads all the time. <laughs> Why isn't this working? There was, like, self-deception here. And for you, it's like, maybe for you, it's like, I go to church. I'm in a connection group. I do the Bible reading plan. But if you're not receiving the word of God with meekness, if your attitude is not like, I want to know God, I want to be shaped by God, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself by thinking, I'm doing all the right things. And your soul is starving. Your soul is starving. Your soul needs God. And it's starving. And I wouldn't care for your soul well if I didn't tell you that. And notice the two aspects of good Bible reading in verse 22. You need to be hearers, or maybe a, a, that word could also mean like heed. Not just that you hear it audibly, like you heed it. You, like you want it. You're eager for it. But it shouldn't just end there. You can't just go like, oh, that was great. That was deep. Never thought of it that way. It's like you actually have to move on to be doers of the word, apply it to your life, live it out, be shaped by it, be rebuked by it, be corrected by it, be trained by it. That's why in our connection groups, it's like, well, we, we do sermon discussion. Not just that we discuss it, but we want to get to application. All right, that was awesome. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to apply it? How are we going to be doers of this word? How is it going to shape our lives? So that's an important part of being, know how to read your Bible the right way. And behind that is an attitude of meekness. That you have this humility of saying, God knows more than I do. His ways are higher than my ways. I'm going to put myself under his word. I'm going to be shaped by his word. I'm going to follow his word. I'm going to obey his word. And sometimes when it comes to Bible reading, I think we can get sidetracked by over-focusing on understanding. Now, give me grace here. 
understanding is really important. Like you need to understand and have an accurate understanding of the word of God. So don't hear me say that. What we tend to neglect is attitude and action. When we just like, I just want to understand it. I just want to understand. I just want to understand. What does that mean? Like this, you know, dragon with six heads. We're getting into Revelation soon. Like, what does that mean? And we just want to understand. Like, we just want to grasp the information, which is important. But are you neglecting attitude and action? Are you neglecting, like, what is my attitude when I come to the Bible? Like, do I just want to know God? Do I, am I coming with meekness, like, ready to obey? What's my posture in reading the Bible? What's my action? How am I doing at being a doer of the word? The parts you do understand, are you obeying them? Are you a good investment for further understanding? Like there's more to Bible than just understanding it. It's having an attitude of meekness to receive God's word and not just receive it as hearers, but actually be doers of God's word. So let me just kind of, as one of your pastors, try to get practical and helpful here in the end. This is, I'm just trying to give you a tool that might solidify this approach when you read your scripture. I, I think it would be helpful every time that you read the Bible that you start with a simple prayer. Um, a one-sentence simple prayer of a confession and two requests. The first is a confession. That is, my soul needs your word. Like, to start out, understand, like, this is more than just kind of crossing off a to-do list or reading my Bible or checking the box. Like, my soul needs your word. And I may not feel like reading. I may not understand what, you, what I'm reading. But I know my soul needs your word. Like, this is an important time, and I need to pay attention and dive in, and there's spiritual realities happening here. The first one, if you just start off with that confession before you read your Bible, my soul needs your word. And then the the first request is, give me ears to hear. Give me ears to hear. You'd hear Jesus say that sometimes. In fact, in that parable we read, he said that. And he'll, he'll repeat it again in Revelation to the churches, the letters to the churches. Of like, If you have ears, hear. And you're like, well, who doesn't have ears? Like, we got ears. But it's not talking about just like, uh, he's like, you need to listen up. Like, you need to have ears to hear this. You need to have ears to hear the word of God. You need to be quick to hear or eager to hear. God, make me eager to hear your word. Eager to understand it. And then the second request Humility to obey. There is a type of pride behind disobedience that I know better than God. I can order my life better than God. I got this covered. And there's a type of pride behind disobedience. But we need a type of meekness or humility to say, you know, your ways are higher than mine. This this is what makes us good soil. Like what you say goes. So if you could just kind of embrace this prayer of starting your Bible reading. My soul needs your word. Give me ears to hear and humility to obey. If we could just kind of begin like our Bible reading, our frequent Bible reading that way. Father, my soul needs your word. Give me ears to hear and humility to obey. And I'm telling you, there's power in the word of God. There's power in the word of God. And if you form a rhythm of approaching God's word with that attitude, with meekness, with humility, with an action-oriented mindset, if you make a rhythm of approaching God's word with that attitude, your soul will come alive. Your soul will be revived. And it will impact all aspects of your life.
Church, our vision is that you would be good soil. Because we can say we value the Bible. We're going to spread seed. We're going to cast it every Sunday. We're going to give you Bible reading plans to read it. We're throwing seed all over the place. But we want it to land on good soil. And if it does, what is God going to produce? And if you could go into this year saying, like, I just I want to be a man or a woman of this book. And if I don't get it, I'm going to read it. I'm going to seek understanding. I'm going to apply it. I'm going to work through it. I'm going to commit to it. And if you're good soil, and you're good soil, and you're good soil, and I'm good soil, and you're good soil, and you're good soil, and the whole balcony's good soil, that starts adding up to a lot of land. And what might God grow among us? If we would receive his word, his implanted word, with meekness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would create in us a hunger. For so many of us that feel just stuck in a rut, would you revive our soul? Fill us with joy in your amazing promises. Help us commune with you. We are made by you. We are made for you. Lead us to not put lesser things ahead of you. Make us people of this book. May we would commit to reading it, to meet and know you. We would commit to obeying it, to grow closer to you. That you would use it to shape and form us. But you are our prize, and these are your words. May we treasure them. pray this in your name. Amen.